What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we will be analyzing the UFC card going down tomorrow night, headlined by TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen. This 11-fight card will take place from the small cage in the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. And just a quick recap of last week's event, I predicted 7 out of 10 fights correctly on the podcast and profited 3.23 units on official track bets. So it was a solid week of picks and a great week of bets with 3 units of profit. And we're going to look to continue that momentum this week. We got a solid 11 fight card. One fight was canceled last night. Aspen Ladd versus Macy Chasson is no longer on this card, but we still got some quality matchups. Uh, some decent prelims, and a really good main card for a fight night. So I'm excited for this card, and let's get right into talking about the first fight. The first fight takes place in the women's strawweight division. We have Diana Belbita as the minus 120 favorite, taking on Hannah Goldie as the plus 100 underdog. This line has flipped. It was originally Belbita as the underdog, but the market came in pretty heavily on Belbita, and rightfully so. Both these women are pretty bad in MMA, but I see a pretty clear difference between them in the striking. Goldie likes moving backwards a lot when she's striking and doesn't have the highest striking output, while I trust Belbita to come forward with aggression and pump out high output a little bit more when this fight is on the feet. In terms of grappling, both these women are pretty bad defensive grapplers, but I think that Belbita is the worst defensive grappler of the two, so if either of these women end up on bottom for any reason, I trust Goldie a lot more to stand up and actually get the fight back to the feet instead of just laying on her back for the entire time. So Belbita is a pretty bad defensive grappler and a sloppy striker overall, but I'm going to be picking her to win this fight. I just think that she has the more consistent offense, and I think she's going to show a little bit more aggression and consistent uh, landing, consistently landing strikes throughout this fight. So I'm siding with Belbita by decision here, but it's not a fight I would bet. Um, Belbita at plus money, that was a fine bet, but where it's at now with her as a favorite, I wouldn't recommend betting her. Uh, so the pick Belbita decision. Next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Sajara Eubanks as the minus 375 favorite, taking on Elise Reed as the plus 310 underdog. Elise Reed is making her UFC debut here, and she is a former atom weight, straw weight, so she's moving up in weight for this fight. And watching tape on Reed, I did not see many redeeming qualities about her. She was taken down pretty easily by several different opponents, was stuck on her back, was caught in some deep submissions. So I just don't see any way that she's going to be able to stop the takedown attempts of Sajara Eubanks. And even if this fight stays in the feet, I think it'll be competitive. And I think I even give an advantage to Eubanks just on experience and size. And her boxing isn't that bad overall. So I slightly favor Sajar Eubanks in the feet here, and I heavily favor Sajar Eubanks on the ground, and I think that Eubanks should find a finish on the ground. I think she's just one or two levels ahead of Reed. The size advantage should be too much for Reed, and I think Eubanks is going to get a finish here. I actually have a bet on Sajar Eubanks to win by submission, plus 500. I have a half unit bet on that. It's possible that Eubanks finds a ground to pound TKO or something like that, but I think submission is more likely, so I'm down to throw a half unit on that bet at plus 500. I really do think it hits, so that's an easy way to make five times your money if that line is still available. Even if it's plus 400, even plus 300, I think there's value on it. I think I would cap it as like a 25 to 30% outcome here, so the pick for me is going to be Sajara by finish in rounds one and two, and I think it's going to be a submission in round one. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Julio Arce as the minus 200 favorite, taking on Andre Yule as the plus 170 underdog. 
I think this line is pretty accurate. The only hesitancies I have around playing Arce at minus 200 is that he is dropping down to 135 for this fight, and he has had about a 20-month layoff, hasn't fought since November of 2019, losing a close decision against Hakeem Dawadu. And in this matchup, I give Arce advantages everywhere. I think he has a slight striking advantage over Andre Yule. I think the fight will definitely be the most competitive when it's at striking range because Andre Yule is purely a striker. He is really heavy on his lead legs and really dominant or dependent on his uh, left hand. And if he can't land that left hand, he really doesn't have that many tools to win the fight with. So I think that Arce just has many more ways to win the fight. And Arce definitely has a big grappling advantage here. Arce should be able to hit takedowns. We've seen him take opponents back. We've seen him get submission finishes in the UFC and his prior UFC fights. So I think if Arce wants to take the easiest path to victory here, he's going to grapple and to take Yule down, likely get a back take and possibly even submit him at some point. So the Arce submission line of plus 500 also has value. And I think that Arce should win this fight wherever it goes. So minus 200, I do think there is some slight value there. I do cap him in the minus 225, minus 250 range. I think that Arce should win this fight pretty comfortably. And I would be pretty surprised if you was able to pull off the upset here. So uh, the pick for me is uh, Arce decision or submission. But honestly, he could win this fight in every single way. So if you like Arce here, I would honestly stick to money line because the guy can win the fight in all three ways. Uh, my official pick will be uh, Arce decision. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Jordan Williams as the minus 170 favorite taking on Mickey Gall as the plus 145 underdog. I think this line is dog or pass. There's no way I would be trusting Jordan Williams at minus 170 because there are a few question marks with him going into this fight. He is cutting weight down to 170 for the first time in a while. He previously had trouble cutting weight. He does have type 1 diabetes and allegedly couldn't really cut much weight throughout most of his MMA career. So I wonder how his body is going to respond to cutting weight for this fight. And another concern for Williams was his last fight against Imavov. It definitely appeared like he gassed out after round one of that fight. It was extremely tired in rounds two and three and just didn't look like his normal self. He previously had pretty good cardio in rounds two and three, like in his Kermagomedov fight uh, on the Contender Series. But in that Imavov fight, he really slowed down heavily after rounds two and three. It could have been his UFC debut. It could have been those front chokes that Imavov had him locked in in the first round. But regardless, Williams definitely gassed out badly in that fight. So those are two reasons why I'm hesitant to lay the chalk on Williams here at minus 170. Another reason is that Williams striking is going to be his biggest advantage in this fight. Mickey Gall is a pretty low-level striker. He is developing his striking. He looked improved in the Mike, uh, the Mike Perry fight a year ago, but he still is definitely a low-level striker, and Williams should have the striking advantage over him. But when watching Williams strike, he looked like he regressed a lot in that Imbaval fight. I mean, he, behind, in the Kermagamedov fight, he was fighting behind a jab. He looked sharp. He had a lot of different tools. He was landing his leg kicks. In the Imbaval fight, he kind of abandoned a lot of those tools and was just wildly throwing punches in the pocket. And, you know, that was just a really bad look for Jordan Williams. So he probably gets back on track getting a victory here over Mickey Call. I will be picking Jordan Williams to win the fight. But in terms of bets, it is dog or pass. Getting over to Mickey Gall's path to victory, he probably is going to need takedowns to win this fight, but I don't think the guy's wrestling is very good, and I think Williams' takedown defense and get-up game should be good enough to avoid getting taken down here by Mickey Gall, but 
Gall hasn't fought in a year. He did show improvements in his last fight. He might have leveled up in between uh, fights in that year layoff. He might got a lot better at wrestling. And I think it's entirely possible with the improvements that he showed in the last fight against Mike Perry. I think Mickey Gall could surprise some of us. So I think it is dog or pass in terms of money line. And the Mickey Gall submission prop definitely has some value as well with the way that Williams was getting caught in those chokes versus Imavov. And I definitely think that if Gall is winning this fight, it's going to be with his grappling. And the sub should look live there. So not a whole lot of confidence in either side here. Dogger pass in terms of bets, but the official pick will be Jordan Williams to win by decision. And this fight going the distance is actually plus money. I think there's value on that. I think this fight goes the distance at like a 60%, maybe even a little bit higher rate. So I'm not sure why it does not go the distance is plus money. There is value on that prop. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Ian Heinish as the minus 160 favorite, taking on Nasruddin Imavov as the plus 140 underdog. So right off the bat, I think this line is wide, and I think the value is all over Imavov at plus money here. I just don't have much faith in Ian Heinish to cover his price as a minus 160 favorite here. I don't think the guy is really great in any aspect of MMA. I would have previously said that his best attribute was his defensive grappling, his takedown defense, but in his last fight against Kelvin Gastelum, he was actually pretty easily out-wrestled in that fight and lost that fight pretty decisively. Um, so it seems like Heinish might have regressed a little bit. He doesn't have that same takedown defense and scramble game that he did when he first got in the UFC. I don't think his distance striking is any good at all. I don't think he has a really consistent strike that he can land on any of his opponents. So in the striking of this matchup, I honestly favor Imavov as the dog here. I think he has the better boxing of the two. I think he's a lot faster. And the way he was rocking Phil Halls in their fight, especially late into the fight, he carried his power late in the round three of that fight. I definitely don't think he lost that fight. The judges did give that fight to Phil Halls, but I think Imavov deserved a 10-8 in round two or round three, excuse me, and I just don't think th that he lost that fight. I think Imavov did all the damage there. He rocked Phil Halls multiple times. I will say that Imovov's takedown defense, his get-up game, his grappling off of his back did look pretty bad in that fight. He was taken down and laid on for half of that fight, so that's definitely not a good look going forward. I think the good wrestlers and grapplers at 185 should probably run through Imovov, but I'm not sure that Ian Heinish is a good offensive grappler. I don't really trust him to hit consistent takedowns here. I don't think he has much of a top game to keep Imovov down, and I just don't think there's any way that Ian Heinish justifies minus 160 if this fight doesn't go into the wrestling realm. I think if it stays striking, Ian Heinish is going to look like the underdog, maybe evens at best. I don't think that he's going to justify that 60% price tag if the fight stays standing. So I like Imavov's chances here. I don't rate Ian Heinish's wrestling good enough to consistently get Imavov down. And I think Imavov is the better distance striker of the two. I think he's got the better boxing. I think he's got the speed advantage. And I think he's going to be landing a lot more consistent punches throughout this fight. So I'm siding with Imavov here as the dog, just waiting to see when I'm going to lock in a bet on him at plus money. I think anything over plus 120 is value, honestly. So where the line is trending towards 140, 150, 130, wherever it ends up at, there is value. Probably one unit worth of value on Imavov here. I think this line should be closer to a pick'em. So I like Nasruddin Imavov here. And his knockout prop at plus 425, I think, has some value as well. But I'll just be betting Imavov straight here, and I'll be picking him to win by decision or knockout. Next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Puna Soriano as the minus 125 favorite, taking on Brendan Allen as the plus 105 underdog. 
I think when predicting this fight, you have to speculate a little bit on either side because Puna Soriano has never faced a takedown attempt in MMA. You're hearing the narrative that he was a former high school collegiate wrestler. That is true, but I think people are kind of clinging to that old narrative instead of actually trusting the tape that we've seen. We haven't seen him defend any takedowns. We don't know how he's going to look uh, in the defensive wrestling. We don't know how he's going to look off of his back. We don't know how good his jujitsu is. And when you're facing a good fighter like Brendan Allen, a great grappler like Brendan Allen, I think there's just too many questions around Puna's defensive grappling to be trusting him as a favorite here against Allen, who will attempt takedowns, who is getting better as a striker. We saw some pretty clear improvements from Brendan Allen in the striking versus Carl Roberson. And when I watch Puna Soriano strike, he is very aggressive. He does have a very hard left hand great power behind that left hand he's rocked several opponents with it and he's a decent offensive wrestler himself but I highly doubt he's going to be hitting any offensive takedowns here if he does I think that Brendan Allen is probably going to sweep or submit him from bottom because Brendan Allen is really good off of his back he's a great grappler on top and on bottom and when I'm watching Punisori on a strike, I see him getting off balance a lot. The guy is swinging big. He's always searching for that knockout. And when he misses those punches, he is getting way overextended. He's getting caught off balance. And I think that Puna is going to overextend here and miss a big left hand. And Allen's going to time that takedown, get a body lock, get a trip takedown of some sort, and take Puna Soriano down. And eventually outgrapple him as the fight goes, likely finding a finish in the later rounds here. If Puna Soriano wants to win the fight, he's probably going to have to knock him out in round one, like most of his wins come by. And that prop was at plus 410, so I did take some of that Puna Soriano knockout round one. And you combine that with Brendan Allen money line at plus money, I think you're going to make some guaranteed profit here. And honestly, Brendan Allen as a plus money underdog here is worth a bet on its own. I think I will be tracking some Brendan Allen action here, maybe 1, 1.5 units, uh, because I do think he's getting more intelligent as a fighter. He's improving in all aspects of MMA. And I think he's uh, smart enough to find a way to get Puna Soriano down to the mat here. And I think he's going to be the better grappler. I, I mean, it is speculative, as I mentioned. We don't know how Puna's going to look off his back but with the opponents that Brennan Allen has outgrappled in his MMA career I think that he should be the better grappler by a pretty wide margin once this fight hits the floor so I'm picking Brendan Allen to finish the fight in rounds two or three and the props of this fight Brendan Allen in round two plus 650 Brendan Allen at round three plus 1100 I think both of those have value I think he could finish him with a ground and pound or a submission on the floor at any time um, but honestly, don't get greedy with those props. Just take Brendan Allen money line and plus money. There is value all over that. And I think he should be the slight favorite here. So I like Brendan Allen to win the fight. Let's go with round two submission. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Adrian Yanez as the minus 227 favorite taken on Randy Costa as the plus 192 underdog. I'll start by saying I think this line is wide. I think these are just two aggressive knockout artist strikers who are going to probably meet in the center of the octagon and throw down. And from the defense that I've seen from Adrian Yanez, from how reckless he gets in the pocket, especially when he hurts someone, when he hurts his opponents, he starts charging at them very aggressively, searching for that knockout, and he doesn't have good defense when doing so. And I think he could rock Costa, come in too aggressively, Costa counters him, and Costa could knock him out at any time. Randy Costa has been training at Sanford MMA for the past eight months. He was kind of bouncing around from camp to camp throughout all of 2020, but finally settled down at Sanford and has been getting in some good training there. So I think we're going to see the best Randy Costa we've ever seen. I think that 
a lot of the times we've seen Randy Costa fight MMA, he wasn't even training MMA that seriously. He kind of started training MMA uh, pretty casually as like a protege of Joe Lozon, and he's only really gotten serious about training in the past year or two. So I expect to see some pretty clear improvements from Randy Costa. It's a shame we haven't seen the guy fight longer than a minute or two in his past few fights because... I think we're going to see improvements in his cardio. I think we're going to see improvements in his, his footwork, just the, the level of composure. And I think we're going to see the best Randy Costa ever on Saturday night. Now, I'm not completely writing Yanez off here. I do think he is the more polished fighter of the two. He's definitely a lot more comfortable in the, in the cage. He's spent a lot more time in the cage. He's way more experienced late in fights. His cardio is more proven. So there are some things to like about Adrian Yanez here, but... When Yanez is not getting that knockout, when he's not hurting his opponents, I don't think the guy has the highest volume. I don't think he has the best round winning ability. So I think we could see him maybe a more measured approach from both guys here, maybe a bit mutual respect on either side. And we could end up going to the decision here. We could have a competitive striking decision over 15 minutes. I think that probably slightly favors Adrian Yanez, but with how low volume he is, with how not reliant on knockouts and knockdowns he is, I think Randy Costa could easily win this decision based on competitive striking volume from either side here. So I give this fight maybe 60-63% for Adrian Yanez. I think the value is all over Randy Costa here at plus 192. I was able to get in on that Costa round one knockout prop at plus 950 that people have been talking about. Uh, I don't think that's the only way that Costa can win. I think he can actually surprise us in rounds two and three with his improved cardio here, but it definitely seems like the most likely outcome that these guys are just going to trade, get wild, and get aggressive in round one and throw down. And I think it's probably going to be anyone's fight. So I'm siding with Randy Costa here going out on a bit of a limb. I think we're going to see some improvements from him. And I have some hesitancies around Adrian Yanez, and I think this is a good time to bet against him. Uh, I like Randy Costa here as an underdog. I already have a one unit bet on him at plus 161, and I think I'm going to have to add another half unit at this plus 190 price. So I like Costa to pull off the upset here. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Miranda Maverick as the minus 156 favorite, taking on Macy Barber as the plus 136 underdog. I'd say this line is slightly wide. I'm not really interested at laying minus 150 on Miranda Maverick. Even though I do give her slight advantages everywhere in this matchup, I think that she does have the better striking technique of the two. I think the southpaw looks of her striking are going to give Barbara some confusion. I doubt Barbara has been working with too many southpaws. So I think that Miranda Maverick should have the more consistent offense on the feet. Barbara definitely has the more power in her offense, but... I just don't see much technique behind Barbara's striking. I think she kind of just wings strikes and looks to catch her opponents off guard, but she doesn't really have much setup. She doesn't really have much crisp technique behind them. She kind of just wings powerful punches without much uh, thought process behind it. So in the striking, I expect it to be close, but I think that Miranda Maverick's better technique in her striking is actually going to slightly edge the striking exchanges for her here. But it's very marginal because one big strike, one big looping hook from Barber could uh, change this fight, could change the, the round in the eyes of the judges. Um, so it's really anyone's fight when the fight is in the striking. But I do give Miranda Maverick a pretty decent grappling advantage here. I think she's way better at 
keeping top position once she gets her takedowns. Both women have decent offensive wrestling, but I see a pretty clear difference in top position control from Miranda Maverick. I think she's way better on top than Macy Barber is. And when Barber is put on her back, she is pretty dire. We've seen her put there by Roxanne. We saw her spend some time there against Alexa Grasso. And I just don't think that Macy Barber is very good off of her back. And I think that if Miranda Maverick comes in here with a wrestling-heavy game plan, looking to hit those body lock trips and, and inside trip takedowns that she did in her past few fights, I think that she should get Macy Barber down and likely outgrapple her to win rounds or a decision here. But as I mentioned, minus 150, I'm not interested in playing that. I would give Maverick a slight favorite here, maybe minus 130 for Maverick. So the betting line value is on Macy Barber here. I'm not a fan of Macy Barber. I'm not a fan of betting on her, but I do think the value is on her a plus 136. I'm still going to be picking Miranda Maverick to pull off the decision victory here, um, but it is dogger pass and I have no interest in betting on Maverick at this price. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Derek Minner as the minus 160 favorite taking on Darren Elkins as the plus 140 underdog. Pretty simple way to summarize this fight is that Derek Minner is a guy who pretty consistently slows down as the fight goes on. He comes out extremely aggressive in round one of almost every one of his fights, and he does have a lot of round one finishes, but if he is not able to finish you in round one, he loses the fight more often than not once he gets out of round one. And Darren Elkins is a guy who never slows down. This guy has infinite cardio, incredible toughness. He can shoot 10, 15 takedowns a fight. He can absorb 100 strikes a fight and still keep fighting, still keep coming at you in round three. And that's what we saw in his last fight against Garagori. He was getting hit on the feet at distance. He was getting rocked pretty badly, but he kept shooting those takedowns. He was hitting those takedowns, and he was just nonstop persistent with them and eventually got that rear naked choke in round three. When analyzing the striking exchanges in this matchup, I think they probably favored Derek Minner early on when he still has energy. He did look like a pretty decent striker against Charles Rosa, hurting him at times with punches there, but that was kind of an anomaly. He had never really shown good striking in the past before that. And I think that Minner will probably have a minute or two of striking success. But after that, I think Darren Elkins should probably have uh, the better boxing of the two, the more consistent offense. And considering that Darren Elkins is just going to have such a huge cardio advantage in this fight, I think that makes him a pretty strong pick as an underdog here, a plus 140. And moving over to the grappling here, I think that Darren Elkins is definitely the better wrestler of the two. He has the better takedowns, and Derek Minner loves going for those guillotine chokes when he gets taken down. So I think that Elkins will probably shoot a takedown in round one. Minner will lock up that guillotine. There will be a close moment where we might think Elkins gets submitted, but Elkins will eventually escape. Minner will start to slow down, gas out, start to kind of wilt as the fight goes on. And I think Elkins is just going to put the pace on him in rounds two and three here. And as long as Elkins survives that round one, as long as he doesn't get finished by you know a, a fluke knockout or a submission in round one, I think this fight really favors Elkins in rounds two and three here. I know Derek Minner looked like he had good cardio in rounds two and three versus Charles Rosa, but that was just because that was such an easy fight for him. He had really no resistance from Charles Rosa there, while Darren Elkins is going to have a lot more resistance. Minner is not going to be able to take him down and outgrapple him as easily. Minner is going to probably be spending a lot of time on his back in this fight, and I just don't trust the striking, the takedown defense of Derek Minner. I don't trust the cardio of Minner, so there's no way I would be laying the chalk on Minner here at minus 160, and I think the value is all over Darren Elkins at plus 140, and Darren Elkins is probably going to be a great live bet after two or three minutes in this fight as well, but even pre-fight, I think the value is all over Darren Elkins here. 
and I think he's worth a bet at plus 140. I think this line should be closer uh, to maybe 55% for Minner, but I think Elkins is going to survive round one and just have that crazy, insane zombie pace in rounds two and three and probably beat up Elkins or beat up Minner in rounds two and three, possibly even finding a finish. So I guess I'll go with like a round three finish for Darren Elkins here, probably by submission and a plus 140. I think he's worth a bet and he's my pick as the underdog. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Kyler Phillips as the minus 280 favorite taking on Julian Paiva as the plus 240 underdog. Phillips definitely deserves to be the favorite here. I think the highest I would cap him at is minus 190, 65%. I cannot agree with Kyler Phillips at over 65% in the minus 200 range though. So I do have a small bet on Julian Paiva here at plus 225. He's plus 240 now, still worth the bet. And it is kind of a value bet. I don't have any supreme confidence in Paiva. I can't picture a crystal clear path to victory for Paiva. I just think he'll be there the entire time to make this fight close. Paiva is moving up to 135 here. His last fight was a year ago against Sumagulov at flyweight. And I think this move up to 135 is a good move for him. I think he'll fill out well for this weight class. He is a pretty tall flyweight. So I think this move is going to be pretty good for him. And Paiva's just a solid fighter everywhere. He's a solid striker. He's got good boxing, pretty good output as well. And he's a very good defensive grappler. He can be initially taken down with that long, lanky frame of his, but he's got a good get-up game. He's got good jujitsu off of his back. He can get back up to his feet after he gets taken down. So I don't think Kyler Phillips is going to have a lot of success taking his opponents down. Phillips does have some decent takedown ability, but I haven't seen that great of a top game from him. And I don't think he's going to hold Paiva down. So more often than not, I think this fight takes place in the striking realm, and Phillips probably has an, an athletic advantage, a speed advantage with that in-and-out movement of his. He is a very solid striker, but I just think Paiva is going to compete. I think he's going to be there with his length and his boxing. I think the leg kicks could possibly be a good uh, tool for Paiva in this fight to try to limit the movement of Kyler Phillips, and I think Paiva is going to be fighting for your money the entire time at plus 240, so... I think this fight is going to go to decision. It's going to be a close competitive decision. I guess I'll slightly side with Kyler Phillips by decision as my official pick. Pure pick wise, I got to go with Phillips here. But betting wise, I think the value is all over Paiva. And I think he's worth a small half unit stab at this plus 240, plus 225, wherever you can get him priced. Because he's going to fight for your money the entire time. The fight's going to be closer than minus 280 indicates. So, uh, the pick is going to be Phillips by decision, but I'll be cheering for Paiva to pull off the upset here. The next fight is the main event of the card and takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Corey Sanhagen as the minus 200 favorite, taking on TJ Dillashaw as the plus 170 underdog. The former Bantamweight champion TJ Dillashaw coming off a two and a half year layoff, coming off his EPO suspension. And it's been a long-awaited return. Uh, one of the greatest fighters in the entire UFC when he went away for that suspension. I'm really interested to see how he returns here coming off that long layoff and that PED suspension. Corey did look great in his past two fights, getting two highlight reel knockouts over Marlon with the spinning back kick, the flying knee over Edgar, but I don't think those two knockouts really prove that much for his career going forward. Most of Corey Sanhagen's uh, trouble in the octagon has come in terms of grappling, in terms of getting taken down, and he didn't really show any defensive grappling improvements in those fights. So I think the same questions uh, around Corey Sandhagen before or after the Aljamain fight are still there. He still can be taken down. He still can be put in vulnerable positions on the mat. And Corey Sandhagen just flat out isn't a good wrestler. He doesn't have good takedown defense. That long, lanky frame of his isn't never going to be good for stopping takedowns. 
And that could be a real issue in this matchup because TJ Dillashaw is an underrated wrestler, an underrated grappler. If you watch the way TJ Dillashaw approached the John Linker fight, he knew that John Linker was a potent boxer. He stayed out of boxing range. He stayed just beyond kicking range to kind of frustrate John Linker. And then right when the timing was right, he shot a really great time takedown, took down John Linker, and really dominated Linker from top position. TJ Dillashaw showed that he can keep top position. He can control opponents. He can land good ground and pound. And the guy is a really underrated grappler. And I think that's probably going to be his game plan here against Corey Sanhagen. TJ will recognize that the striking probably favors the younger, more athletic, more active guy in Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen has spent the past two years fighting in tough matchups, and he's got to be a lot more used to getting hit, a lot more used to the pace of a striking fight. And I think that TJ Dillashaw is going to recognize that. He's going to recognize that his easiest path to victory here is to take this fight to the floor and to grapple Corey Sanhagen. And I think he's going to do it with a pretty effective game plan. I think that TJ will take down Corey. I think he will win some of the early rounds with his takedowns in his top game. It just becomes a question of can TJ Dillashaw sustain that for long enough to win the fight? Can he do that in multiple rounds? Does he have the cardio, the grappling cardio to hit multiple takedowns and to sustain that grappling attack over Corey Sandhagen? And there's no real way of knowing. I think you have to speculate on what shape TJ Dillashaw is in. Uh, you know, how far he's regressed in this layoff, if the PED suspension has any effect on how he will look. But rewatching TJ Dillashaw's fights, I was reminded of the caliber fighter he is, a championship caliber fighter, a great striker, a great grappler, a guy who knows how to approach matchups and take the easiest path to victory. And I think he's going to do that here. And I think as an underdog, the value is all over TJ Dillashaw here. There's no way I would be laying that chalk on Corey Sanhagen at minus 200. The only way Sanhagen justifies that price is probably just knocking TJ out in round one. Uh, probably catching TJ when he's still cold and knocking him out. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that TJ will wait outside of range, will kind of take a slow, tentative approach to this fight and look to time that takedown. And I think he's going to get Corey Sandhagen down. I think he's going to win uh, probably one of the first two rounds. And I think that he's going to fight for your money at plus 170. Now, I don't have supreme confidence in TJ to keep up that grappling attack, to keep hitting takedowns and to keep uh, out grappling Corey Sandhagen as the fight goes. But at plus 170, I think he is a good bet. And I think he's going to look like a live underdog in the first two rounds here. I mentioned this earlier, but I want to go back to it a little bit. I do give Corey Sandhagen a slight striking advantage in this matchup due to a few reasons like his height, his length, um, his recent activity, probably a speed and athletic advantage for him at this point in his career. But I don't think Corey's striking advantage in this fight is, is super massive. I think it's a slight advantage. And... That is because TJ Dillashaw is an elite striker of his own. You cannot forget that. Even though he has taken some time off, even though we haven't seen him beat too many opponents besides Cody Garbrandt in the past few years, the guy is still an elite striker. He still can find a way to win this fight on the feet. I think the leg kicks will be a big factor for him. He's going to try to chop down the legs of Corey Sandhagen and limit that mobility of him. And another aspect of this fight uh, to look out for when the fight is in the feet is the kicks of Corey Sandhagen. He can kind of throw lazy kicks out there at times, and his opponents can catch them and turn them into takedowns. So... The safest approach for Corey to win the striking here is to just throw hands to keep the fight to mostly his boxing, maybe his flying knees and whatnot. 
But I just don't think that TJ Dillashaw is going to give him the range that he wants. He's not going to be hanging out in boxing range. And I think that TJ will be timing his takedowns uh, whenever Corey gets aggressive. And I think TJ is going to take him down. So I'm kind of bouncing back and forth on who my official pick is going to be here. I guess I'm going to go with Corey Sandhagen to win the fight as my official pick. I think it'll probably be like a round four or five TKO, maybe even a decision. But Betting-wise, I think the value is all over TJ. This fight isn't too hard to think about in terms of a betting perspective. You got a former champion, a former elite-level fighter um, at plus 170 versus a guy with a grappling disadvantage here. So I think that Corey Sanhagen uh, will win the fight, but he's probably going to go through some struggles in the early rounds, getting taken down, losing some rounds here. And I think that there's probably going to be a better live entry time on Corey Sanhagen to bet him, maybe after the second or third round here. So... I think this fight will actually go into the later rounds, 4-5 decision, and I think that Sanhagen knockout is going to be my official pick, but I honestly hope TJ Dillashaw pulls off the upset. I hope he can grapple his way to a decision victory here, uh, or finding a finish on the ground as well, possibly too. So I'm cheering for TJ Dillashaw. My bets will be on TJ Dillashaw here, but the official pick will be Corey Sanhagen by fourth round knockout. So that is going to do it for this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. I breezed through all 11 of these fights on tomorrow night's card. Hope you all enjoy the card tomorrow. Hope you all win some bets. And I'll see you before the next UFC card next week. Peace.